Welcome, welcome, welcome to the working that is Corononaut Chronicle. My name is Bill, and I will be your guide on this particular Sonic adventure. The show is, of course, sponsored by mysticalwares.com. Uh, Derek is not here with us this evening, but I am joined by two other Chrononauts, and uh, we'll hear from them in just a moment. Uh, but firstly, I wanted to go over what it is exactly that we do here on Chrononaut Chronicle. Uh, well, since this is a working, there are, are steps to the working. And so we've made the steps uh, into the show segments, essentially. And there's four steps, there's four segments. The Almanac, Gratitude, Silver, and Sword segment. The Almanac, or the Almanac segment, uh, the goal here is just to uh, expand our awareness a little bit. We take a look at the uh, upcoming energies that are available for us to work with throughout the week as far as planets go. And then uh, gratitude, the gratitude segment, the second segment, since this is a working, uh, love is a, a key ingredient to this particular working. So the gratitude segment helps us to uh, tie our hearts and our minds together and to uh, create that uh, coherence and to not only do this uh, on the show once a week, right, but to kind of perpetuate it throughout, uh, throughout the week, right, in between our meetings. And then the silver segment. Uh, the goal here is expansion, really. Uh, we talk about uh, many different topics, but hopefully learning something new each time. And then uh, the sword segment is really about uh, transformation. It is, it is about uh, spirit. It is about uh, dimensions, consciousness, uh, metaphysics, timelines, and uh, how to um, effectively and efficiently navigate using our, our thoughts and reminding ourselves to move out of a victim mentality if we find ourselves in one of those and into the hero mindset. So that is, that is the uh, inspirational, motivational aspect of the show is step number four, which is the last one. And I failed to uh, look at the almanac and write what was happening this week so let me grab it real quick and i'm just gonna do this on the fly today is the 23rd let's see uh saint james of jerusalem feast day is, is today don't know too much about that guy uh let's see we've got a conjunction between uh saturn and the moon on tuesday uh wednesday a conjunction between neptune and the moon and ooh, we got a full moon on saturday uh, look out for that there's also an eclipse lunar eclipse on saturday that uh, is the full hunter's moon it says and then uh sunday ooh, we've got a lot going on sunday we've got uh, three conjunctions what is that mercury and venus uh the moon and jupiter and uh, moon and uranus i believe that one is so uh, a lot happening this week uh, but speaking of eclipses, um, did you guys get to do any eclipse chasing? Not that. No, not for this one. I did go to the uh, the last one that uh, crossed over uh, the Carolinas. I don't know. Yeah, I was not in the path. I do. I mean, it got dark here, obviously. But uh, that guy, did you did you get to see any eclipse? Yeah, I I didn't. We were in the path, but it was overcast here, so. Yeah, it was cloudy here too. No joy for us. So, uh, yeah, that, that's the almanac segment, and then um, 
we just introduced our two chrononauts. We have special guest chrononaut, that guy with us, for his second appearance on the show, actually. Waving. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the first one, we talked about this in, on the you know, the next episode we recorded after we, we, we tried to get one with that guy and, and Derek was here and man, we had a lot of people on that episode and we talked about black goo and nobody, nobody recorded the episode. Actually, uh, I did have a, a three second sound clip of, <laughs> do I still have it? I do still have oh, it. Oh boy. The evil that men do lives after them. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is the only audio salvaged from oh no i don't know if this was windows media player might not be compatible with games oh shit yeah you hear that (laughs) yeah that was it yep that was our that was our episode um but yeah so that was a weird that was a weird uh conundrum we had three fairly seasoned uh podcasters in, in in the chat and nobody we all failed to to record so must have must have, must have been the black goo topic i think and uh, we will we will touch back on that i'm gonna wait until derek is here obviously because he's got uh, the best story and first-hand experience when it comes to stuff but, yeah we will uh probably hopefully hear from him maybe uh, in november if not definitely uh well, hopefully hopefully for sure in, in december but uh yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, gratitude, gratitude segments. Uh, man, uh, it's been two weeks since we had our last episode, so there's been a few things I'm grateful for. Um, one of them is heat. It's, it's cold now here, so I'm grateful that uh, we have heat. We're not. And I'm also grateful that we're not hooked up to. And I didn't agree with this decision to begin with, or you know, starting out, but we don't have. Uh, natural gas we are not on the grid so we heat our house we heat our house with uh diesel fuel oil so um it's a little little uh a little different a little bit more pricey but uh at least we don't have to worry about our house blowing up right anyway oh yeah and i did uh, i started uh i started my workout routine again I stopped in in uh, not July in uh, April of this year, and took the summer off and some part of the fall, and I overdid it last it was last Wednesday, so it's been six days, still kind of sore, but I think I'll be in good shape for tomorrow. But anyway, uh, that's my my two gratitudes, I guess. Um, that guy or Adam? Do you uh, first of all thank you both for being here. And uh, what are you guys grateful for? I am, um, I am very grateful for the calm and introspection and retrospection that comes from advancing age. Um, there have, I've, I've had a few things happen recently that uh, would have sent me into a tailspin earlier in my, earlier in my days. And, and I'm grateful that that hasn't happened this time. Um, I, uh, I, I credit the creator and the love of my family for, for that. My dad often says that it's, uh, it's not the, it's not getting older. That sucks. It's the aging process. It's the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the physical aspect of it is kind of a pain in the neck, but, uh, 
I like the uh, I, I like the 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 mentally and spiritually stronger part of it. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, I, in in Jewish tradition. I've, I've heard that one is not supposed to start studying the the Torah at least numerologically this is uh, i'm going back years and years on a book i read but i think you're supposed to wait until you're 40 before you mm. start doing that so there's got to be something to having you know life experience and whatnot and i'm getting to uh, almost almost that number but not quite um adam anyway not about my age <laughs> not to say yeah. adam what uh, what are you grateful for <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad that we're not in World War III right now. Amen, brother. <laughs> you know, that uh, as crazy as things are, it seems that, uh, yeah, the, the, the powers that be are not letting it get completely out of hand just yet. It has so I'm been... very thankful for that. Yeah. It's just been... That's, that's the news cycle now. And uh, I'm kind of glad we didn't have a show last week because i was really struggling for you know headlines that didn't have to do with this conflict not that i'm yeah i'm not gonna lie i spent a fair amount of time on youtube watching uh live uh streams over the uh the gaza horizon i got yeah. trapped you know, it's it's really easy to get trapped in that kind of stuff um i <laughs> i have been uh, let's see. I'm going to blow my own cover on something here. I have been, uh, I've been four chan sober for three and a half weeks now. And I'm very grateful for that. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it, it's interesting. I, I had convinced myself at one point that it was, uh, um, that it was a valuable source of, of, of Intel and insight. And, um, that all I had to do was wade through some of the uh, random bullshit that happens there. Uh, and just the more, uh, the more I looked at it, the less and less value I was able to extract from it. And so finally I just said, eh, that's enough. Yeah, and to be fair, 4chan has uh, seen its better days when it comes to that type of information leak. I True. Mean, it was originally used because it was such a cesspool of information that you could leak some real information. Yeah, yeah. Those, now it's kind of co-opted by everybody to do that. <laughs> yeah, th there there are still a few personalities on there that that seem to um, be engaged in things, but the chaos that happens around them um, is such that it's just uh, it, it's it's unusable. I f I find it unusable. Well, this is actually a, a really good segue into. Uh, the, the third segment, the silver segment, where we we learn something new. But before we get into you know the headlines I pick out, I, I'm trying to uh, open up the room. We're trying to remember to open up the room to anybody that wants to talk about any topics that they bring to the table. And mm -hmm. that guy and I and Adam had a brief discussion beforehand. And I think that uh, that guy has a particular, uh, uh, how do you want to say, uh, method that uh, he would like to explore with us. So why don't you kind of tell us what's on your mind? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, we see enough on the news and, you know, the news is kind of a fire hose uh, at this stage where uh, every everybody has an opinion. We're being told who the good guys and the bad guys are. And I'm not entirely convinced that uh, the people that are selling us commercial news are um, are presenting that information from a pure heart. 
<laughs> I, I think there's, there's some other things that are going on there, uh, that are maybe, maybe they're being influenced in ways that, that we, that we don't necessarily see. And if we had seen some of that influence, that it might change our opinion of both the news outlet and the news itself that was coming out. So I, I started, I started looking at it and, you know, I was looking at, uh, initially it was about Ukraine and Russia and how, uh, you know, every, everybody, not everybody in the U S but, um, most of the news media and people that you run into on the street, everybody, you know, I stand with Ukraine and all that. And I started to, um, I, I was initially suspicious about it. Um, and I, I'm not going to make any kind of assessments or judgments on anybody else's, you know, uh, opinions or the outcomes of their own investigations and so on. I'm curious how, how you guys look at that conflict and figure out who's the good guy or is there a good guy? And what tells you that, you know, what tell, what, what convinces you that, that somebody is a good guy or a bad guy in that, in, in, in that, uh, conflict. I'll just throw it out there for you. Yeah. I, uh, I look at every, especially when it comes to world politics, it's, mm -hmm. there is no good guys. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, what happened to the Nazis project paperclip, they got absorbed into our government, into our nation. Uh, and we've continued to do some pretty terrible, horrible things, um, in a world with other terrible, horrible people, mm -hmm. um, you know, to take the classic example, there's Iraq, you know, we go in there under false pretenses and we take out a guy who did some really horrible things. And in its wake, we left terrible destruction that impacted more people than to begin with. And. I mean, when you just start looking at the way that the politics are done, it, it's it's power, control, and money. Now, to the how do I suss through? I take that as a baseline. There are no good guys. Like I, I'm on team human being, and uh, you know, not team America, Russia, per se. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but within that, obviously, you know, there's right, wrong, and you need to have your sovereignty um, and your protection. Uh, the first thing I do is I, I listen to the No Agenda Show podcast, which does a really good job of deconstructing what's in the mainstream narrative. And more, more importantly, they take a very wide berth of the MSM and what they're putting out, um, which gives you a good idea on where a lot of the obfuscation is coming from. Secondly, um, I pay attention to uh, NTD, New Tang, Di New Tang Dynasty News. Uh, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to, to, to watch like, uh, RT, Ru the Russian times, but that's where you're going to find a lot of the, the really true news about us because they want to lambaste, you know, um, the U S and they're going to do it as, you know, um, cutthroat as possible. So those are my, my two big things. Um, and the third one is just don't take the world too seriously. At least when it comes from a stress standpoint, I, I look at the world as being this, uh, the best movie ever in, in a sense of the, <laughs> the word that like, uh, you know, you couldn't write this script. You couldn't have turned it into Hollywood and got somebody to green light it. If you did, it would be the running man, which seems like it's, it's not even farcical today that that could happen. And, uh, the movie has a, a totally different tone when you watch it again. 
I completely agree. We, uh, Mrs. That Guy and I watched it, and it was um, impressive <laughs> in how closely it aligns to what we're doing right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Movie opens up with a, a guy wanting to save uh, protesters, and he's mm-hmm. being ordered to shoot and kill them, and then they fire missiles upon him and blame the attack on him, and then put him onto a TV show to compete against Jesse yeah. Ventura. It's totally what's happening today. <laughs> I'm hoping Biden ends up going up against Jesse Ventura. Uh, can he really go up against anybody else? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so um, yeah, the 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 thing about not taking it too seriously. This is the thing that, and I'm I'm grateful. To, I'm 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 going to hitch back to the to the uh, gratitude section for a second. I'm grateful that Mrs. That guy continually reminds me of. Is there anything that you can do about this? And if not, why are you bothering yourself with it? So. Yeah. Bringing it back to the old circle of concern and the <laughs> circle of influence idea. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, the other thing I do is I, I live in a, a pretty chaotic part of uh, West Palm Beach. And that chaos is something that I truly love and adore. Because when you hear about, you know, uh, years ago when, you know, Antifa was attacking people or somebody would get an attack for wearing, you know, a political hat, a Trump hat or just anything like that, that does not happen down here. We are so diverse, so eclectic, so many different gangs and different things going on that like that kind of chaos just can't happen because somebody will check you back. And, you know, uh, it's 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 really interesting how living in that that kind of like a chaotic uh, social environment is actually inoculating against some of the the crazier extremes around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the that's the same kind of stuff that happens around here. Except it's not so much that it's crazy people; it's just people that are super calm, mm-hmm. and super practical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, th- this is uh, the state of Florida, man. So you know, g- yeah. good luck trying to stir something up down here. <laughs> right. Yeah, I like. Uh, I think we we can all agree on this point, but I like that Adam brought up Team Human, right? The uh, yeah, there's one, one of us, right? And uh, I do think that this is a a distraction. Um, this is a oh yeah. Listen, if you're breaking into my house, I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care what your political affiliation is. Are you trying to hurt me? Yes or no? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, but such a mess over there in the middle east too because everybody's hands are dirty for thousands of years we're okay. sure shit not fixing it it's biblical well there's I mean, gonna... there's 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 dirty and there's dirty though i mean you know there's um you know if you look at it on on one side that that maybe a particular group of people have been just so annoying that they've been kicked out of everywhere <laughs> like mm-hmm. they just don't play well with others but it, does that is that is that a killing? I I don't think that deserves a killing. Um, yeah, genocide's bad, no matter who it's perpetrated on. Yeah, I'll say that I'll yeah. go on the record to say that I, I I don't think that's controversial. Yeah, but I mean, like, I mean, like, I I I might be annoyed by people, but that doesn't mean I want them dead. I mean, I just just go away. <laughs> don't go well, away, man. Just go away. So the the terrible thing is not not to die too deep into politics but it yeah we've been bombing the middle east for so long it's like every time that you kill somebody who's innocent you create an enemy 
and, mm-hmm. and justified enemy. If you, if some, if somebody came and bombed my house and killed my kids trying to attack somebody else, I'm going to want to kill you. And that's been perpetrated for so long. You know, when you have Israeli guards shooting reporters or children at a border, you know, you do that kind of stuff for long enough and you build up an extreme that can be even worse than you against you. Yeah. It's, yeah. But then it, we have the that's question. what I mean. There's no good guys in this bad guys. Like, yeah, you need to defend yourself, but why were you there? So nobody's hands are clean. And it's like, well, you still have to do something. Well, be, having, having unclean hands is not the same thing as just being a straight up murderer, right? That's true. Yeah. And it's like anything else. Uh, not everybody's bad. You know, true. not every cop is bad, but a bad cop can, you know, do a lot of damage. And, you know, if you have one corrupt leader uh, running a state, you can have a lot of damage get done. Yeah. And yeah, I, what is, I heard somebody saying that, uh, you know, we're, that really what we've turned into is, uh, it's not gangs or corporations, but it's these giant industries against industries. You know, mm. it's, it's agriculture. It's the military industrial complex. It's, it's the military, uh, uh like, uh, big pharma, all these things are vying plus countries, plus things, and they're playing a giant game of power. And, you know, we're all down here like, yeah, don't kill people, no genocide. And it's like, yeah, we want the oil. We want the land. You know, mm-hmm. we that new, uh, you know, uh, lithium resource. And uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. It's depressing. <laughs> it is. De- <laughs> it is very depressing. Back to your point of like w- watching videos or clips of of the conflict or, or whatnot like we we even have to question those now because with the technology to to uh deep fake you know pretty much whatever you want you really have to wonder like and this is just what we're you know well and it's uh, absolutely uh, aware being aware of right like, during desert storm when we were going in they were taking broadcasts from saddam intercepting them modifying them and rebroadcasting them to the troops or to his his military forces and that was being done way back then. Of course, they're using, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, chat GPT 14 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I don't know, somebody, I heard somebody say, forget where, otherwise I would, I would give credit because it was a really good piece of advice, but it was essentially don't believe the hype. And that, that was in my mind that was basically uh, what this person's answer would have been to if they had been asked what was the best piece of advice ever given to you mm. ever right and would you modify it if you throw back to 13 questions but yeah don't believe the hype because there, there's two i mean the uh, i didn't know this was a thing but did you know that there's a history of atrocity propaganda like oh yeah whole yeah. thing of oh yeah the babies is is not yeah, it's new. it's it's literally one of the oldest books in like uh social military warfare the oldest tricks in the book yeah yeah it's the that was the first thing that came to mind when they were talking about beheading babies just the fact of that it's alliterative partially and it's so short and people mm-hmm. were repeating it well and it does like not matter that the original reporter who reported that retracted his uh his initial report it's right, and they're still talking about collective. it too. Yeah, it's baked into the collective. Damage yeah. is done. I mean, that's the point yeah. of the psyop, right? Yeah, right. it's like Syria, you know, uh, chemical attacking its own, you know, citizens. Doesn't matter right. if it's not true. Uh, the MSN will still repeat it. It's, it's uh, like, what Hitler said: you repeat a lie, you know, enough, and it becomes the truth. Yeah, it's, it's definitively true. 
Yeah, it was like um, I the when I when I heard the the beheaded babies thing, I thought that does not sound right. <laughs> that that just on its face, it just sounded it sounded like it was wrong or some made up crap. Uh, you know, like I'm not saying that it's impossible for you know people to do these kinds of atrocities, but it seems like an awful lot of tedious work <laughs> for. It was the perfect demoralization. Sla- it, was the, it was the perfect salacious story to get your country riled up against the enemy. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, you know, somebody's launching rockets into your city, blowing up buildings indiscriminately. Mm-hmm. They're not good guys. You know, two hundred people kidnapped. That's there's there's no nothing good uh, about that. And, but, and see, this is this is one of the, this is part of the calculus that I've been you know that I've been operating on. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's law, there's laws around warfare and the conduct of conflict. And, you know, there's certain things that are accepted and certain things that are not. I mean, it's, it's a brutal business, uh, no matter how you look at it, but there are certain things that you do. You try to avoid civilian casualties wherever you can. You try to protect civilians and innocents, uh, wherever you can. Ultimately though, you have to deal with your adversary. Um. and some some people do those things and some people don't and there's also there's also things that you just don't ever do that's that's also uh, like anathema when it comes to war fighting things like you know quartering troops with civilians or mm-hmm. uh, hiding uh you know fighting from a from a hospital uh fighting from a church uh that kind of thing and that stuff seems to happen routinely with certain groups of people Israel tends to not do it. The U.S. tends to not do it. You know, England doesn't. Russia's not doing it. Yeah, but but see, Hamas, this, this but Hamas and Hezbollah are doing it. They are. But then you have. Then this is where I go deeper because it's like whose hands are bloodied in this? You know, what about all the NGOs that are supporting yeah. these groups that are supplying the people, the supplies? In a you know, you have you know, like uh, parts of Gaza, they're completely locked down all the utilities all of the supplies are controlled by israel mm-hmm. filled with civilians and then you know it's hey get out now we're bombing the place and yeah and that's that's the other thing that's you have, if you're an 80 year old lady you ain't getting out if you're somebody with a disability or health issue um i don't know it's in so then you have just like that situation like what kind of despair are you going to create amongst uh uh Poor people who feel that they're being, you know, enslaved or captured. Like that's to me, it's like, well, if you don't have the resources to fight back, you're going to make friends with the bad guy. You're going to become the bad guy. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, it's what is it? It's like uh, crabs in a bucket, rats in a cage. Like you know, captured animals will sometimes do everything to free themselves. Yeah. You know, a dog, you know, uh, biting through metal, you know, breaking its teeth just to get out of a cage. So I don't know. I take it levels deep of it's like, well, our government is supporting it. Our, you know, uh, NGOs are supporting it. Everybody's making money on the back end. You know, we're, you know, uh, involved in all of this political maneuvering. You know, just look at all the proxy wars that we've done for the last, you know, 40 or 50 years that we know about, you know, just Mm -hmm. to destabilize and change for our benefit. So at the end of the day, I'm like, you are 100% right in everything that you're saying. And then I say it's also 100% our fault for letting it become that. Yeah, I don't disagree. <laughs> I don't disagree. Um, the 
in in Palestine they had you know they they had their own uh, they had their own motivations for doing what they did. I think it was an un, unreasonable thing to do, uh, an evil thing to do. Uh, but I don't dispute that they had their motivation for it. Justification? I don't think so. I don't think it can be justified. But understandable? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, but that, again, like this specific situation, then it goes so deep because they're, oh my gosh, the fact that they took like five or six hours to respond, that there was no, like, you have the best military in the world with the most sophisticated surveillance system, with the most sophisticatedly controlled border, and then you drop the ball, all of your troops happen to be, you know, the majority of your special forces are off, you know, at the peninsula far away. It's, you know, it, it just has all those hallmarks of going, you know, this was probably a thousand times worse than it should have been. Yeah. And I, you know, if you I, look at the response, it's like, well, it is a good justification for wiping out a problem that you've been dealing with for decades. Well, there's, you know, there's, there's an awful lot that we could get into a, about this conflict in particular. Um, like conspiracy theory level stuff and not, not unreasonable. I think, uh, that's kind of not the direction I was intending to go. Uh, certainly there's questions about why the Israelis would have pulled the troops away from, from the border and, and abandoned those areas before this happened, considering especially that they knew that they had people coming in or that were practicing for, uh, uh, you know, practicing for this kind of thing, uh, in Gaza at the time. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I think my, the, the thing that I was uh, struggling with when I started this, this inquiry was about, you know, you know, knowing how Israel has been knowing how, uh, knowing how, how the Palestinians have been and everybody around them, uh, you know, like it, was, was this, was this the right thing to have happen? And I think, no, it wasn't. Um, but I do question the motivation of of uh, of the rest of their uh, the rest of the Israelis' actions when when it comes to you know pulling back their troops and leaving that that sector just completely unguarded. <laughs> I just that's uh, that seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Me either. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the USS Liberty guy? Oh yeah, <laughs> yes I am. Adam, are you? Do you know the story? I can. Actually, I can summarize it, but I'm sure that I could do a better job. I may be familiar. Okay, so for the just for the listeners' sake, I'll I'll try to summarize it as short as possible. Uh, the thing that got us into the war in Cuba uh, was that a ship was at anchor in Havana Harbor, uh, and it was the oh, I'm sorry, no, that was a different one. I'm sorry, <laughs> the USS Liberty was the was an intel gathering ship that was off the coast of uh off the coast of egypt during uh during the uh, uh during the war between uh israel and egypt they were fighting over the sinai peninsula and uh, the short version of that is that it was uh it was strafed repeatedly uh and attacked by israeli aircraft uh while it was on patrol it was not really what i would consider uh 
it's it's not what I would consider a war fighting ship. It was more intel collection. They had guns on board because, you know, they had to be able to defend themselves and stuff. But um, they got raked pretty hard over over several uh, over several different attacks. And a lot of people died. Uh, and nobody seems to want to acknowledge it or uh, or press the Israelis on why they did it or who ordered it. So I was sorry. I'm sorry. I was I was starting to think of uh, the 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 uh, attack that got us into uh, <laughs> uh, the war in in Cuba. I was thinking the other the other ship. Yeah, that 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 uh, other false flag. Uh, yeah, not the except, US, except, it wasn't a false flag, but except yeah. yeah, right. It wasn't it wasn't a false flag. It was just a straight up straight up attack, and Killed us. it was it, it was it was clear that the, that the ship. Uh, was an american ship because they were flying their battle ensign which is you've never seen one is freaking enormous <laughs> they uh they tend to go from like the top of the mast uh to to nearly to the deck <laughs> and they're they're very large and they fly those so that people don't accidentally attack the wrong ship yeah so that, that was a, a bit of history that i recently came came into uh awareness of within the last you know this year but uh yeah, yeah definitely not widely known it seems like at least nobody yeah about it. you know and as as an old sailor i mean you know i look at at the at the report you know the some of the some of the deck log entries and uh the way the the way the fight was described and i just i i can't i can't imagine what legitimate purpose they would have had for doing that I just, uh, I don't, I'm not doubting that they did it. It's, I, I just, I can't think of a legitimate purpose for doing it. I can't even think of an aspect of fuckery that would, <laughs> that would cause it. Like, it, they're, it, know, they're doing something that they don't want us to know about. Right. Trying to hide something, apparently. Maybe, but they're, they're, in any of the stories there there doesn't seem to be any indication like they weren't it didn't look like they were trying to cover troop movements it didn't look like they were trying to uh prevent the discovery of something well and who knows war is good for business on so many levels yeah and for power shifts that uh you know it could have been something as simple as somebody wanting to organize and orchestrate that one event so that they could sell more arms you know, every time North Korea does, you know, saber rattling, we sell, you know, protection munitions overseas. It to me, it all and actually to to just kind of cap my point on your question from before on like how you you know sure. suss out the the good guy or the bad guy. Uh, when I said like it's all bullshit, they're like everybody's guilty, everybody's hands are dirty, and from that standpoint, you got to look at the situation at hand as exactly as it is, mm -hmm. as it stands with all the fuckery that's happened. You still got to defend yourself and you still got to neutralize the, the target and then figure out what's wrong that got you into that situation. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, that probably will never happen. Yeah. I, I tend to look at it from what are my values mm -hmm. and are, are the, are the actors in this doing something that I would, that, that I would do or are they doing something that's completely antithetical for to, to anything that uh, that I would ever dream of engaging? 
you know, the thing with uh, uh, leaving leaving the territory and going to a kibbutz and going house to house murdering people. Um, you got you, you can't let that happen. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's well, what tells me it's a bad guy. This and, is this is the same thing. It's like if you have somebody who had a terrible childhood, you know, with terrible abuse. <laughs> excuse me, and then they act out on somebody else, you know, rape, kill, right. murder. You there's compassion there, but it doesn't mean you don't go unpunished. Right. Exactly. And I view it the exact same way that. Yeah, and and you know I've 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 been to. I've been to one of the towns that's getting bombarded right now. Uh, I, last time I was in Israel, I had to, um, I had to stay at a hotel in Ashkelon, which is, uh, it's a few miles North of the Northern wall of, uh, of, of Gaza. And that town is, you know, there's nothing really, you know, it's not a military town. It's, you know, there's some industry there. Um, but you know, it's just a bunch of people living in houses and apartments. And when they start mortaring that place, or when they start dropping Katusha rockets on it, it's um, that's that. I think it's an unreasonable target. Yeah. Uh, for that. So you know, it, I have it's, a. It's a target of last resort. Limited resources, maximum impact. Yeah. True. True. But that doesn't make it any nope. more legal. As a, as a, uh, it doesn't make it any more legitimate as a military target. The, the, do they even have the capability to pick a target? Cause aren't they making these rockets out of the water pipes that are digging out of the ground or something like that? Uh, there's a lot of munitions being supplied from like Iran and other countries. And I guarantee you a lot of the arms that, uh, we've been distributing over the last 10 years have made it over there. Yeah. They've been talking about, uh, American M4s and stuff like that coming from Afghanistan. Uh, shipped by the Taliban to to oh, uh, yeah, to, to Palestinian troops. Good old um, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, when you, when you look at it, at Israel's response to it, I mean, they're they're going in and they're 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 attacking legitimate military targets. The problem is that the legitimate military targets are doing things that rules of armed conflict do not condone. Like they'll set up shop on the top floor of a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Doing terrorist things. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they could have a, a whole command and control system set up on top of, you know, on top of a hospital or in the basement of an apartment complex or something like that. And Israel will tell people, Hey, we're, we're going to bomb this one next. Get everybody out. And, you know, the Palestinians are telling them not to leave. So, you know, what do you, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, yeah. uh, to be in that position, yeah. That's, it, at not... that, at that point, it's, it's not, it's not the Israelis killing them. It's the Palestinians that are not, yeah. that aren't letting them leave. Well, at the end of the day, I'm a huge fan of boots on the ground as opposed to indiscriminate targeting because if your intel is wrong or the accuracy of the device is off which happens um although the uh, 
consequences to your troops may not be as much. Um, I don't know, man. It, it, it's like you said, it's a city with civilians. You gotta, it seems to me one of those situations where you would need to take the extra care to do it more dangerously to try to, you know, cause imagine being held captive in that. That's the worst thing that I can't even imagine, mm -hmm. you know, and then everybody's given up on you. <laughs> the your own people have given up on you the opposing side has given up on you you're literally just cannon fodder yeah yeah my my position has always been you know if i get captured uh have whoever is coming to respond drop ordinance on my position and i'll get out in the fucking chaos <laughs> so while we're on this topic i've been mm -hmm. hanging on to this news article from huffington post i put it in the chat for you guys okay it's on an archive uh archived page right so yeah this was october 13th huffington post i'm not a big fan but uh, the headline is stunning is stunning state department memo warns diplomats no gaza de-escalation talk and to really um cut to the chase of the article uh in messages uh, circulated on Friday, uh, which were viewed by the Huffington Post somehow, uh, but they were circulated on on Friday by the staff. The State Department staff wrote that high level level officials do want not want press materials to include three specific phrases: de-escalation slash ceasefire. One phrase. Second phrase is end to violence slash bloodshed. And third one is restoring calm. So none of, none of these phrases should be used in the, the mainstream media to to talk about this this conflict. Uh, wh how does that make you guys feel? I don't know. It seems pretty par for the core. There was a resolution put forward into the UN to supply uh, relief and aid to Gaza, and the only people who uh, contested it was the United States. And it uh, delayed everything significantly. It, it seems like it, it seems like that's exactly the talking points that they would want right now. There's people that want war, flat yeah. out. It's good business, right? So wait, the UN was trying to send aid, and then we said no. Yeah, there was a resolution that was set up, and because of the wording of it, um, the No Agenda show covered it. Uh, but essentially, it was that. There was wording that being part of like the UN, it's baked in. It's already assumed that we do this. And they're like, no, we want re-clarification in this document and we're not signing it until that gets done. So it was a purposeful uh, a stalling of the um, getting it done. Okay. So this would be, yeah. So in line with preventing a de-escalation or a ceasefire, right? Or exactly. calm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Push things further closer to the uh, the line of no return. Hmm. See if I can't find that. I don't know. That kind of a uh, kind of makes me think that there's a uh, there's there's an agenda that somebody there's a whole lot of people that want war, right? If we're not even going to mention restoring calm. Yeah, I don't I don't know that it's necessarily about wanting war. I think there's 
people that are certainly looking for justice after what happened on October 7th. I mean, telling somebody that they're not allowed to go and, and uh, engage their adversaries that have demonstrated murderous intent and a willingness to do just about anything uh, to further their goal. I mean, that have repeatedly, you know, they've repeat. that's part of their doctrine that it's that the elimination of Jews everywhere and the state of Israel is their objective. This isn't just, you know, we, you know, want to establish a homeland for ourselves. They're, they're looking for eradication. Yeah. The genocide. Yeah. So it, should, should we not take them at their word? Well, um, I mean, they've demonstrated a willingness to execute on that plan. If you'll pardon the phraseology. As far as, uh, um, cutting through the bullshit to get to, you know, figure out right versus wrong or what side to be on mm -hmm. thing that I've, I mentioned to you, but I didn't really talk to you too much about it was, is this. Uh, Azazel character and it's just the name of a telegram chat right uh, but whoever runs this picked a very interesting name um, Azazel is is responsible he's a, an angel that uh, was mentioned in the book of Enoch and mm -hmm. he's responsible for teaching men how to make weapons and, and cosmetics and for that he was cast out of heaven but uh, so there's an interesting backstory there to to the news news quote-unquote news feed it's basically just a feed um but uh, it's, it's apolitical which mm -hmm. i really really appreciate uh, but it talks uh, i mean it deals with a lot of you know the current current events current issues um so not only just you know the, the popular things but there's stuff on there about like shortages reports for for you know if you're looking to stock up on anything that he does earthquake reports. There's, there's chemtrail reports like all every day, right? There's, um, loud booms and explosions, um, train derail trackings. Um, like it, it's, it's really, uh, if, if you're familiar with Charles Bukowski and how depressing it can be reading that guy, it's, mm. it's very much in that lane. So it, I, you know, I can't spend a whole lot of time on there uh, for a long period without, you know, being mindful of that but uh his, his that viewpoint that he he provides is uh whoever's running that is is pretty um novel i would say and not anything that i've been exposed to uh, thus far in my in my life but uh there, there is a definitely a faction breakdown which i have found uh very useful and uh it's it's uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the movie called flight of the dragons in 1984 uh, it's an animated film it's made for children right but uh it talks about the the it mentions this is a training film essentially for to introduce children to this idea um but uh four factions the the red is, is the bad faction right the red faction the bad faction that's that's the uh people that like to do adrenochrome stuff right mm. you have blue green and gold are the other three factions and uh having that that Parad that uh, categorization system to that lens to to view things with 
has really um, separated some issues for me. So um, I get a lot of, I get all, basically all of the, the headlines that I bring to the show every week is stuff that I have uh, curated off of Azazel's page there. So um, it's been super helpful uh, for me and it's kind of uh, been a, a guiding uh, inspiration behind the show for, for segments of it anyway, right? Um, but yeah, one of the, before we move on um, to, to uh, more headlines, one of the things I've been introduced to through the uh, Azazel Telegram is, is Cliff High. And I was wondering if you guys have heard of Mr. Cliff High before? I've heard of him, yeah. Yep. Okay, so everybody looks pretty familiar. He he wrote some kind of code to essentially predict 9-11. I'm a little fuzzy on the backstory, but uh, you guys are familiar with, with his work and all that? Yeah, I, I've heard many a podcast with him. Yeah, I, I, I'm unfamiliar with that aspect of it. Okay, Adam, can you summarize quickly? Do you mind? Offhand, I don't know. I just know that I've heard his work often. Okay, anyway. Uh, he he puts out little uh, like fifteen minute audio clips every now and again on his Twitter profile, and he makes uh, predictions for upcoming events, right? Because he has this it's not it's not a Chat GPT language learning model or anything like that that, that I that I can understand. It's something uh, completely different that he came up with. Uh, him and a, a, I guess one other guy maybe. I, did, I should really do some more research, but anyway, um, some of the main points that he is uh, predicting, I guess, in the future is going to be the, the separation of the people from the mainstream media. And I, I wanted to bring this up um, even more so because of that guy's inquiry. But uh, I think that we can see this happening, right, in, in, in real time. I think a lot of people are getting wise to the fact that they're being actively deceived, right? So um, at least the people that are in alternative media you know, hopefully most of them, are, they're not actively trying to deceive anybody. So there's going to be a shift away from you know, cable, I guess, to alternate sources. Yeah, I, I started to see some indications of this actually in pop pop culture reference. There was a there was a Babylon B article uh, this I last love, week. I love the a, Babylon B. Yeah, Babylon B article about. Uh, that uh, editors at the New York Times are waiting patiently by the phone for Hamas to call and tell them what the next story is. So this was in uh, this was in the in the wake of the uh, the initial story was that uh, Israel had bombed a hospital, and then it came out that it wasn't Israel that did it; it was a missile that fell short, and then it came out that it didn't actually hit the hospital. It just blew up in the parking lot and that no 500 people did not die. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, the, as you pointed out earlier about another story, uh, the fact that it had gotten out there in the first place had the desired effect because then we had people in, uh, in Libya and in Iran and in Syria and Jordan, uh, massing outside the American embassies demanding, the, the heads of the, the heads of the Israelis over this attack on the hospital that didn't happen. 
Yeah, it's the lie travels faster than the truth. Yes. Uh, two other uh, interesting points that Cliff brought up was that uh, he's there's a, a prediction of some kind of a, a collapse of the main religions. Uh, so this is a very interesting point, given that you know Jews and Muslims are have always been at each other's throats, apparently, or right. But uh, he says that it's going to start in the Vatican. So there's uh, some interesting. Uh, theories swirling around there um, about uh, how Pope Francis might actually be the last pope. And this is uh, predicted by a, a monk uh, who wrote kind of like these, stan these stanzas, kind of like in Nostradamus form way back when. Right? So there's this theory that, that uh, Pope Francis could be the last pope. And then to hear Cliff make this announcement is kind of, is kind of interesting. Um, but the other thing that he he mentioned, and that ties into a uh, one of the headlines I wanted to cover uh, for sure this episode, is that uh, there's going to be moon disclosure um, happening very soon. And uh, with this, he means that uh, we, we uh, moon bases have, have been have been a thing, have are, are, are a thing currently, right? We're in that uh, we're, we're mining the moon. We uh, get resources off of it. And uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff about the moon that uh, will hopefully wake people up more. But who knows? Maybe it won't because we had this whole UFO thing happen. And it's been in, in the in mainstream media and nobody's really... You know, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, nobody. everybody was expecting it. Nobody was shocked. Like, a, you know, it was a dud. Basically, is, is that how it felt to you guys? It turned out to be kind of a non-event, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm really excited about moon disclosure. Oh, but speaking of, um, I'm super curious about that because just uh, having gone outside at night and looked up doing it quite frequently because I'm blessed to live in a place that has dark skies. Um, I don't see a whole lot that gives me indication that there's, <laughs> that there's anything happening there, you know, other than the normal you know, orbits and rotation. I could send That's, you some pretty interesting video clips. Okay. I've seen it. I've seen a few videos where there's, you know, like, it looks like there's something flying around or three things flying in formation. It's hard to tell what it is because, you know, fuzzy video and all that stuff. I don't discount that stuff, but it just, it seems, it, it seems where I sit now, it seems unlikely to me that there is some large scale mining operation that's happening there. See, I don't know about mining, but I would be very surprised if we did not have a military presence on the moon, just from a tactical standpoint. You know, the, the Air Force has its own space program that's been going on forever. You know, we know about the X-35B, mm -hmm. um, you know, disappearing for over 800 days at a time. And that's what we know about what we're allowed to know about. I say, you know, with everything with it, with UFOs, the UAP, we know that there's, you know, craft coming from outside of, you know, our atmosphere, outside of our solar system into us. That's a pretty significant threat. I would want something facing outward. I would want some sort of sensory systems. I would want some sort of, you know, attack systems. And additionally, 
from a standpoint, a tactical standpoint of Earth, I mean, the the moon is king. Plus, only one side faces you. So you do have a side in which you have um, relative uh, secrecy. As yeah. long as you're on the dark side of the moon there, where we're never really seeing it, um, you're fine. Yeah, the, I would think that if they're if they're doing anything, that it would probably be uh, some kind of a sensor array or something like that. Yeah, I would uh, be thinking the, sensor the array. Would... Yeah, and I mean, look how long we were able to keep, you know, things like the Manhattan Project or different aircraft that we were flying secret. And those things are, you know, here on the ground. Those, you know, once you launch them up, and they're constantly launching rockets for, you know, DOD and everything else. I mean, NASA, you know, was so heavily funded. I mean, that was a majority of the payloads they were taking up were for, you know, uh, had military uh, payloads. So it certainly makes sense to me. I would be very surprised if we did not have something like that um, already out there. because. Yeah why not yeah i mean if if you can why wouldn't you and you know there's also the aspect of of uh of uh civil and i guess admiralty law uh, you know if you don't if you if you don't exercise your rights to something mm -hmm. to the ownership of a thing then you you cede them to whoever shows up and it's not like it's uh it's not like this is some kind of uh special construct it's just that's always been the way that it is if you walk away uh somebody else can come in behind you no matter what you say about it and if you want to assert that claim then you have to do something forceful to remove them you know it's like it's it, it's it's treated as law but it's kind of logic right so um to to go and and maintain a presence on the moon is a form of or would have been a form of, of uh, like asserting property ownership, property rights. It's the same kind of thing that happens yep. when uh, when we get uh, when we get ships that are transiting the the Straits of Malacca and uh, and the Taiwan Strait. It's a it's a freedom of navigation exercise, and the Chinese can stand there and bitch and squawk as much as they want, but unless they're willing to do the hard thing and and forcibly expel. Uh, American and and uh, and other nations' warships from that space, then they have no legitimate claim. The sea belongs to everybody, and the moon would belong to everybody as long as nobody's on it. That's right. But, but there, there is. Didn't the astronaut say that they that they saw? Something? There's a lot of weird stuff about. And then they had to leave. Yeah. Yeah, there was a uh, there was some some um, I, apocryphal, I'll say, do, uh, documentation. Uh, don't know how true it is. The movie, uh, yeah. About uh, uh, about uh, Neil Armstrong and and Ed Aldrin uh, in the lander, mm. uh, talking about people lining up on the on the opposite side of a crater that they had landed near. Yep they're here already the ships blah 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 and uh there's there's transcripts out there well if anybody really wants to do a deep dive on that i recommend you watch the video from when they came back from the first landing on the moon all the astronauts together yeah and they go through their their talk because there is some highly suspect questionable behavior in which they're asked about like whether or not they you know saw the stars while they were on the moon and they're looking at each other before they answer, there's literally a point in time when one of the astronauts elbow nudges the other guy while he's answering a question. There's clearly 
the way I look at them, like, okay, the story you're telling us is not the story you want us to know or not what happened. Right. And either way, there's something suspect going on here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it only makes sense. You know, when Amelia Earhart flies across, um, you know, uh, to do this, um, you know, uh, this world defining feat, she's also a spy. Julia Roberts is also a spy, right? Like, of course, you're going to have, you know, you know, you're in the space race. You're there's going to be alternate um, tasks while you're out there. I mean, mm-hmm. for heaven's sake, they called it Apollo. What does <laughs> Apollo have to do with the moon? And I get seriously, I think it has to do with catastrophism and them going up there and trying to find evidence of uh, cyclical uh, um, cyclical micronova of the sun. And I think they did find that there's some stuff in there in which they're cryptically speaking about the types of um, black spherules that they find in abundance up there. They're like talking about like in cagey terms about the minerals that they're finding. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff when you start looking into the moon and its history, you know, the lore and, uh, what the people have said when they come back, it's weird. Yeah, the moon is so interesting. Is it, it? It rings like a bell. So it's it's hollow, but they're mining it. How does that work? So many questions. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll get moon disclosure soon. Figure out all this out. <laughs> one, one. Um, Listen, it's probably just the Truman Show. You know, it it's be. where the Archons are truly at. <laughs> I I do think well, about that though. In the past, I, I literally go well. Looking at how far back humans span, how far back technology spans, things that we find and how they are, you know, using these incredible things that have to have been created with, you know, large rotating machineries and technologies and things that we cannot do today um, for unknown purposes. Well, what if somebody at some point was able to make a moon, either a place to go for protection when things on the earth got, you know, too crazy and tough, um, or it's literally just like an orbiting space station? And I mean, imagine you come across that as part of our ancient lineage. Are you going to tell anybody on Earth that you found something like that? Or are you going to try to um, exploit it for control over the Earth? Or do you tell them and then distract them with other stories that have nothing to do with that? Because they're all of the above. That's one of the things that Cliff brought up. There is a evidence that he of a society, a civilization found uh, recently, apparently in India somewhere. And it's been dated and 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 all this stuff that and these 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 people have cone heads right they they have the the elongated skulls and allegedly this is a pre-lunar society on earth so like is is the moon is a giant spaceship that is mining itself somehow but anyway speaking of mining uh will we we will get back to the moon in another episode but uh this this next article that in the chat for you guys is from uh ars technica and it is asna asa nasa finds water and organics in asteroid samples possible clues to origin of life hmm. so kind of a a lengthy more kind of lengthy not too not too bad we'll get through it fine we'll have enough time to do to do this and then get to our sword Sword segment um, out of Johnson Space Center in Texas. 
As they unveiled the first samples recovered from an asteroid on Wednesday, scientists were giddy at the prospects of what this material will tell us about the origin of our planet and possibly even ourselves. After seven years in space, a small spacecraft carrying samples from the asteroid Bennu landed in Utah in late September. Following carefully choreographed procedures to prevent the contamination of asteroid dust and rocks from life on Earth, samples were transferred into a clean room at Johnson Space Center in Houston. Uh, since then, scientists have examined some of the material that was collected outside of the primary container to glean some initial insights. They revealed some of their first data during an event at the center on Wednesday. Quote, boy, did we really nail it, said Dante Loretta, a scientist from the University of Arizona, who is the principal investigator of the, get this, OSIRIS-REx mission. <laughs> I wanted to bring this name up because I remember when they launched this satellite, I remember this because Marty Leeds had pointed out the fact that the asteroid that they're going to is called Bennu, right? Well, in the Egyptian creation myth, the, the first piece of primordial land that emerges from the primordial waters, right, is called a Benben stone, stone, right? The Benben stone? Yeah, the capstone from the top of the pyramid. Right. And this, the spacecraft name is Osiris Rex, which is King Osiris. Mm -hmm. right so what is what is nasa doing here with these names again you're using apollo to go to the moon and now we're using king osiris to uh land on ben ben stone yeah they, they've been all about uh they've been all about egyptian mythology imagery for, since you know since the early outset of the space program i mean you know the the apollo uh logo uh, involved, um, oh gosh, I'm having a brain fart. <laughs> uh, Orion, the hunter, uh, and the, uh, position of the belt and the sword or the belt, I guess in this sword or scabbard, uh, very closely reflects the uh, position of the three pyramids at the Giza Plateau and some other structures around there. Right. So, you know, that's, it's, it's been going way back. I mean, and, and who was the, uh, who was the Egyptian equivalent of, uh, of Orion? Was it Horus? Horus was the son of Osiris and Isis. Yeah. I don't know if, Yeah, so Orion was Greek. Yeah, it's Horus. Yeah. Yeah, so it's between the two different cultures. There you go. Yeah, that's that was the mapping. So, so there's there, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of that stuff that, that runs all the way through the, the story and imagery and, and uh naming yeah. conventions and all that. It's almost like they're trying to tell us something. <laughs> yeah without telling us something so uh before the launch of the mission scientists said their recovery of 60 grams of material would be considered a success uh, while the effort to determine overall the overall mass is ongoing uh, 
Loretta said early estimates are that the asteroid capture mission collected about 250 grams of pebbles and dust from the surface of Bennu. Uh, after the material is cataloged, it will be loaned out in small quantities to 230 scientists across 35 countries who are members of the Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification and Security Regolith Explorer, or OSIRIS-REx mission team. Digging into our origins. So what's the big deal about recovering pristine samples from the surface of an asteroid? The big deal is that Bennu, an asteroid in a near-Earth orbit that is about one half kilometer across, is, is believed to be a time capsule for the types of rocks and chemicals that existed when the planets from our solar system more than four billion years ago that existed when the planets formed in our solar there we go when the planets formed uh, by studying the asteroid scientists are looking back to that primordial area era when earth began transitioning from an extremely hot world with a hellish surface into something more like a mud ball poking these pebbles and rocks with sophisticated equipment here on earth may allow scientists to answer questions about how terrestrial planets like Earth and Mars, formed, and possibly whether asteroids asteroids seeded Earth with the building blocks for life. In a preliminary analysis of some of the dust, uh, scientists hit the jackpot with a sample that is nearly 5% carbon by mass and has an abundant water and has abundant water in the form of hydrated clay minerals. Hmm. It is highly pl plausible that asteroids like this delivered the vast majority of the water now found on Earth's oceans, lakes, and rivers billions of years ago. By piecing together clues from the asteroid dust, scientists believe they may better understand how Earth went from an uninhabited mud ball to teeming life today. Uh, one of the investigators says that it's loaded with organics. It, this is incredible material. If we're looking for biologically essential organic molecules we picked the right asteroid and we brought back the right sample this is an astrobiologist's dream but wait there's more <laughs> beyond exploring the origins of earth and possibly life upon it material from this mission will provide insight into other questions for example nasa and some companies are interested in harvesting resources from asteroids to fuel human exploration deeper into the solar system. A thorough investigation of Bennu will provide information about what resources exist in this type of carbon-rich asteroid and how difficult it will be to harvest and process them for fuel. NASA, of course, is also interested in planetary defense. Bennu, as one of the smallest subset of asteroids that have orbits outside of the main asteroid belt, is of high interest because it might potentially intersect with Earth. According to scientists, there is a 1 in 2,700 chance that Bennu could strike Earth between now and September of 2182. Although Bennu is only about 1 20th the size of the large asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs over 70 million years ago, if you believe that narrative, it is large enough to destroy multiple cities or cause a huge tsunami. Understanding the nature of Bennu will help scientists and engineers better understand how best to impact and change the orbit of threatening asteroids in the future. 
and lastly, an uplifting story. The world is awash in bad news at this moment, with terrible conflicts in Ukraine and Israel capturing much of the international discussion. But the story of asteroid retrieval is a positive one. NASA has worked closely with space agencies in Japan and Canada on the mission and partnered with scientists in dozens of countries to study the material brought back. Such an effort unites humanity rather than dividing it. Why are we doing this? A NASA administrator said, or asked, uh, because we at NASA, we are trying to find out who we are and what we are, where we came from, what our place is in the vastness we call the universe. This is not the first mission to return samples from an asteroid. The Japanese space agency has led in this area. Its small Hayabusa-1 spacecraft returned 1,500 tiny asteroid grains to Earth in 2010, and a decade later, about five more grams to it got about five more grams to back to Earth. But the material from Osiris Rex is many times more plentiful, and with larger rocks embedded within the sample, will likely provide more meaningful scientific data. The wonder of Osiris Rex is that we still don't know what we're going to find, but we are at the tantalizing moment of inquiry when we can be sure that we're going to be dazzled by those discoveries in the coming months and years. What I find most inspiring about big science missions like this is that they show what humanity at its best can be. It takes broad international cooperation and a coming together of people from many different backgrounds and specialties to do something that individuals cannot do alone. Reaching far beyond the cradle of our civilizations to find out something new about our cosmos, our world, and ourselves. If we work together, we can do great things. If we work together, the future of our species is limitless. Talk about a silver lining, right? Something that we try hmm. to pick out in this segment. There's any uh, silver linings. I like to think that a lot of the times the headlines I pick out are the silver linings based off of what's going on around us in the world right now. But uh, mm -hmm. this one for sure, it ends on a positive note. It's very helpful and uh, just goes right along with all the other wacky disclosure stuff coming well, out. Well, and, and you would hope if they find something that they would tell us. I don't, when it comes to NASA specifically, you can go back to the Viking missions, do a test, drop the probes, you know, everything in, get a chemical reaction, shows life, end up discounting it. If you go back years later, they're now questioning whether or not they actually did get a positive result. But moreover, if you look at the original like photos of Mars, they're all with orange skies. Everything is orange. They miscalibrated all of their coloring. The original photos that came back from Mars were had a blue sky. The newest photos that they give you from from the the landers have blue skies. And what blows me away, because I look at things like that and I'm like, okay, well, did you you know did you have evidence back then? Why wouldn't you show us? You know, why did you change this? And if you go back to some of the the photos of the moon and you color correct back, you'll actually start to see green on sides of rocks that only all face in one direction. Um, and actually, let me, I pulled these pictures up. I'm going to share them in the chat. One thing that, that really 
beyond anything else uh, ruined my <laughs> faith in NASA wanting to find life was the Mars crab. It's and great. when that came out, um, it's this picture that it, it looks like an alien crab. Indistinguishably, there's nothing else that I can possibly even think of, you know, Pareidolia doing this. Regardless, um, I also included in here some photos of crabs that have been found on Earth that have been petrified in sediment. Hmm. And I'm going, you have ancient sedimentary rocks with all these lines in it. You have what appears to be a crab embedded. Wouldn't that be the one thing you would want to walk, like drive the rover over to and get a closer look? No, they drive on and keep going. And I go, okay, why? If that's actually Mars, why are you doing that? And at that point, I lost any faith that NASA wanted us to know about any kind of life, you know, whether it be all the astronauts coming about talking about um, the, the craft that they've seen outside of their craft. Uh, you know, the, the creatures, uh, uh, you know, seeing like a snake out, a snake-like uh, creature outside their window, seeing craft on the surface. All of these things have been reported, but they can't even tell us about bacteria or crabs or uh, simple life. And, and when it comes down to the philosophical, you know, going back to what NASA really was and Apollo and there being lots of obfuscation, it it just makes me wonder about the entire agency, that it's... It, it seems to me that there is a um, some sort of psychological operation being instituted on the American people through the information they put out or the information they withhold. Yeah, there's got to be a little bit of truth in a lie to make it believable. So, I I, I think though, if if you're going to fly months and go all the way to Mars to have to explain. That you got crabs on Mars. That seems like it might be counterproductive to your credibility. Space STDs. Space. I want a t-shirt that says I went to Mars and all I got was crabs. If I didn't bring that up, I I wouldn't be that guy. It's <laughs> <This is> true. <laughs> gotta get is it, was that your first one this episode? No, it's gotta be at least two. It is. Yeah, no, that's the first one. Well, um, we we have about 40 minutes left in in this episode and for i'll save uh i've got more headlines to get through i'll save them for next time at least the good ones anyway um but for this week's sword segment i thought that we would uh listen a little bit from mr earl nightingale um this is quite a, uh, this is a lengthy clip. It is a half hour long, uh, but it goes by really, really quickly uh, just because Earl is such a good uh, orator. And um, he, he is one of the people that for some reason, when I'm reading books like, uh, like Neville Goddard, like I, I will start to read in this guy's voice. So and I think I've mentioned that before on the show. So I wanted to, uh, Finally, share it with you all in case you haven't uh, haven't heard it. Uh, but Earl Nightingale was a radio uh, radio broadcaster um, for for a number of years out of uh, WGN. Uh, he was the voice of Sky King, which was a, a serial series back back in the day, and he was also a very uh, well known motivational speaker. So the uh, YouTube video I had picked out. Or the, the audio recording 
is from the 1950s, and it's called The Strangest Secret. So I thought that we could give this a little listen and then uh, maybe point out a few things that uh, resonate with uh, with us at the end for, for, you know, very quickly, and then we can wrap up the show afterwards. And I know that uh, if, uh, if Adam or, or that guy needs to uh, leave early for any reason, that is, that is okay, too. Um, we can always go back and re-listen to the show or just I'll send you this link or whatnot. So, um, without further ado, I will go ahead and hit the play button and, and mute down, and then... Hey, Bill, you want to hold for a second? Yeah, Duke, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. I, I, my recorder batteries are dying, actually. Oh, no. That's okay. We'll get a second recording going in about 40 seconds. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're going to ensure that this episode gets released. It is that guy's second appearance. <laughs> want to make sure we get that nailed down i am recording as well but, uh, hopefully you know, i don't lose power or anything and then um i think once i mute on my my mixer you should still be able to hear the audio but if uh you, it all of a sudden stops uh, yell at me and i will i'll come right back and fix it but uh i think has it been 40 seconds yet i don't know yep we're recording Okay, cool. I'm going to go ahead and hit the, I'm going to mute down and then hit the play button. And I'll see you in a few minutes. Tell you about the strangest secret in the world. Some years ago, the late Nobel Prize winning Dr. Albert Schweitzer was being interviewed in London. And a reporter asked him, Doctor, what's wrong with men today? And the great doctor was silent a moment and then he said, Men simply don't think. It's about this that I want to talk with you. We live today in a golden age. This is an era that man has looked forward to, dreamed of, and worked toward for thousands of years. But since it's here, we pretty well take it for granted. We in America are particularly fortunate to live in the richest land that ever existed on the face of the earth, a land of abundant opportunity for everyone. But you know what happens? Well, let's take a hundred men who start even at the age of 25. Do you have any idea what will happen to those men by the time they're 65? These 100 men who all start even at the age of 25 believe they're going to be successful. If you ask any one of these men if he wanted to be a success, he'd tell you he did. And you'd notice that he was eager toward life, that there was a certain sparkle to his eye, an erectness to his carriage, and life seemed like a pretty interesting adventure to him. But by the time they're 65, one will be rich. Four will be financially independent. Five will still be working. Fifty-four will be broke. Now think a moment. Out of the 100, only five make the grade. Now why do so many fail? What has happened to the sparkle that was there when they were 25? What's become of the dreams, the hopes, the plans? And why is there such a large disparity between what these men intended to do and what they actually accomplished? When we say about 5% achieve success, we have to define success. And here's the best definition I've ever been able to find. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. If a man is working toward a predetermined goal and knows where he's going, that man is a success. If he's not doing that, he's a failure. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Rollo May, the distinguished psychiatrist, wrote a wonderful book called Man's Search for Himself. And in this book, he says, 
the opposite of courage in our society is not cowardice. It is conformity. And there you have the trouble today. It's conformity. People acting like everyone else without knowing why, without knowing where they're going. Now think of it. In America right now, there are over 18 million people, 65 years of age and older. And most of them are broke. They're dependent on someone else for life's necessities. Now, we learn to read by the time we're seven. We learn to make a living by the time we're 25. Usually by that time, we're not only making a living, we're supporting a family. And yet, by the time we're 65, we haven't learned how to become financially independent in the richest land that has ever been known. Why? We conform. And the trouble is that we're acting like the wrong percentage group, the 95 who don't succeed. Now, why do these people conform? Well, they really don't know. These people believe that their lives are shaped by circumstances, by things that happen to them, by exterior forces. They're outer-directed people. A survey was made one time that covered a lot of men, working men, and these men were asked, Why do you work? Why do you get up in the morning? Nineteen out of twenty had no idea. If you ask them, they'll say, Well, everyone goes to work in the morning, and that's the reason they do it, because everyone else is doing it. Now, let's get back to our definition of success. Who succeeds? The only person who succeeds is the person who is progressively realizing a worthy ideal. He's the person who says, I'm going to become this, and then begins to work toward that goal. I'll tell you who the successful people are. A success is the school teacher who's teaching school because that's what he or she wants to do. The success is the woman who's a wife and mother because she wanted to become a wife and mother and is doing a good job of it. The success is the man who runs the corner gas station because that was his dream. That's what he wanted to do. The success is the successful salesman who wants to become a top-notch salesman and grow and build with his organization. A success is anyone who is doing deliberately a predetermined job because that's what he decided to do deliberately. But only one out of 20 does that. That's why today there isn't really any competition unless we make it for ourselves. Instead of competing, all we have to do is create. You know, for 20 years, I looked for the key which would determine what would happen to a human being. Was there a key I wanted to know which would make the future a promise that we could foretell to a large extent? Was there a key that would guarantee a person's becoming successful if he only knew about it and knew how to use it? Well, there is such a key, and I've found it. Have you ever wondered why so many men work so hard and honestly without ever achieving anything in particular, and others don't seem to work hard and yet seem to get everything? They seem to have the magic touch. You've heard them say that about someone. Everything he touches turns to gold. And have you ever noticed that a man who becomes successful tends to continue to become successful? And on the other hand, have you noticed how a man who's a failure tends to continue to fail? Well, it's because of goals. Some of us have goals, some don't. People with goals succeed because they know where they're going. It's that simple. Think of a ship leaving a harbor, and think of it with a complete voyage mapped out and planned. The captain and crew know exactly where it's going and how long it'll take. It has a definite goal. Now, 9,999 times out of 10,000, it will get to where it started out to get. Now, let's take another ship, just like the first, only let's not put a crew on it or a captain at the helm. Let's give it no aiming point, no goal, no destination. We just start the engines and let it go. I think you'll agree with me that if it gets out of the harbor at all, it will either sink or wind up on some deserted beach a derelict. It can't go anyplace because it has no destination and no guidance, and it's the same with a human being. Take the salesman, for example. There's no other person in the world today with the future of a good salesman. Selling is the world's highest paid profession, if we're good at it and if we know where we're going.
Every company needs top-notch salesmen, and they reward those men. The sky's the limit for them. But how many can you find? Someone once said the human race is fixed, not to prevent the strong from winning, but to prevent the weak from losing. The American economy today can be likened to a convoy in time of war. The entire economy is slowed down to protect its weakest link, just as the convoy had to go at the speed that would permit its slowest vessel to remain in formation. That's why it's so easy to make a living today. It takes no particular brains or talent to make a living and support a family today. So we have a plateau of so-called security, if that's what a person is looking for. But we do have to decide how high above this plateau we want to aim. Now let's get back to the strangest secret in the world, the story that I wanted to tell you today. Why do men with goals succeed in life and men without them fail? Well, let me tell you something which, if you really understand it, will alter your life immediately. If you understand completely what I'm going to tell you from this moment on, your life will never be the same again. You will suddenly find that good luck just seems to be attracted to you. The things you want just seem to fall in line, and from now on you won't have the problems, the worries, the gnawing lump of anxiety that perhaps you've experienced before. Doubt, fear, well, they'll be things of the past. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now let me say that again. We become what we think about. Throughout all history, the great wise men and teachers, philosophers, and prophets have disagreed with one another on many different things. It's only on this one point that they are in complete and unanimous agreement. Listen to what Marcus Aurelius, the great Roman emperor, said. A man's life is what his thoughts make of it. Disraeli said this, Everything comes if a man will only wait. I've brought myself by long meditation to the conviction that a human being with a settled purpose must accomplish it, and that nothing can resist a will that will stake even existence for its fulfillment. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, A man is what he thinks about all day long. William James said, The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. And he also said, We need only in cold blood act as if the thing in question were real, and it will become infallibly real by growing into such a connection with our life that it will become real. It will become so knit with habit and emotion that our interests in it will be those which characterize belief. He also said, If you only care enough for a result, you will almost certainly attain it. If you wish to be rich, you will be rich. If you wish to be learned, you will be learned. If you wish to be good, you will be good. Only you must then really wish these things and wish them exclusively and not wish at the same time a hundred other incompatible things just as strongly. In the Bible, you read in Mark 9:23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. My old friend Dr. Norman Vincent Peale put it this way, This is one of the greatest laws in the universe. Fervently do I wish I had discovered it as a very young man. It dawned upon me much later in life, and I found it to be one of the greatest, if not my greatest discovery outside of my relationship to God. The great law, briefly and simply stated, is that if you think in negative terms, you will get negative results. If you think in positive terms, you will achieve positive results. That is the simple fact, he went on to say, which is at the basis of an astonishing law of prosperity and success. In three words, believe and succeed. William Shakespeare put it this way, Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. 
George Bernard Shaw said, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, make them. Well, it's pretty apparent, isn't it? And every person who discovered this for a while believed that he was the first one to work it out. We become what we think about. Now, it stands to reason that a person who's thinking about a concrete and worthwhile goal is going to reach it, because that's what he's thinking about. And we become what we think about. Conversely, the man who has no goal, who doesn't know where he's going, and whose thoughts must therefore be thoughts of confusion and anxiety and fear and worry, becomes what he thinks about. His life becomes one of frustration and fear and anxiety and worry. And if he thinks about nothing, he becomes nothing. Now, how does it work? Why do we become what we think about? Well, I'll tell you how it works as far as we know. Now, to do this, I want to tell you about a situation that parallels the human mind. Suppose a farmer has some land, and it's good fertile land. Now, the land gives the farmer a choice. He may plant in that land whatever he chooses. The land doesn't care. It's up to the farmer to make the decision. Now, remember, we're comparing the human mind with the land because the mind, like the land, doesn't care what you plant in it. It will return what you plant, but it doesn't care what you plant. Now, let's say that the farmer has two seeds in his hand. One is a seed of corn. The other is nightshade, a deadly poison. He digs two little holes in the earth, and he plants both seeds, one corn, the other nightshade. He covers up the holes, waters, and takes care of the land, and what will happen? Invariably, the land will return what's planted. As it's written in the Bible, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. Now, remember, the land doesn't care. It'll return poison in just as wonderful abundance as it will corn. So up come the two plants, one corn, one poison. Now, the human mind is far more fertile, far more incredible and mysterious than the land, but it works the same way. It doesn't care what we plant. Success? Failure. A concrete, worthwhile goal? Or confusion? Misunderstanding? Fear? Anxiety? And so on. But what we plant, it must return to us. It be the human mind is the last great unexplored continent on Earth. It contains riches beyond our wildest dreams. It will return anything. We want to plant. Now, you might say, well, if that's true, why don't people use their minds more? Well, I think they figured out an answer to that one, too. Our mind comes as standard equipment at birth. It's free, and things that are given to us for nothing, we place little value on. Things that we pay money for, we value. The paradox is that exactly the reverse is true. Everything that's really worthwhile in life came to us free. Our minds, our souls, our bodies, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our intelligence, our love of family and children and friends and country, all these priceless possessions are free. But the things that cost us money are actually very cheap and can be replaced at any time. A good man can be completely wiped out and make another fortune. He can do that several times. Even if our home burns down, we can rebuild it. But the things we got for nothing, we can never replace. The human mind isn't used because we take it for granted. Familiarity breeds contempt. It can do any kind of job we assign to it, but generally speaking, we use it for little jobs instead of big important ones. Universities have proved that most of us are operating at about 10% or less of our abilities. So decide now. What is it you want? Plant your goal in your mind. It's the most important decision you ever make in your entire life. What is it you want? You want to be an outstanding salesman? A better worker at your particular job? You want to go places in your company, in your community? Do you want to get rich? All you've got to do is plant that seed in your mind, care for it, work steadily toward your goal, and it will become a reality. It not only will, there's no way that it cannot.
You see, that's a law, like the laws of Sir Isaac Newton, the laws of gravity. If you get on top of a building and jump off, you'll always go down. You'll never go up. And it's the same with all the other laws of nature. They always work. They're inflexible. Think about your goal in a relaxed, positive way. Picture yourself in your mind's eye as having already achieved this goal. See yourself doing the things you will be doing when you've reached your goal. Ours has been called the phenobarbital age, the age of ulcers and nervous breakdowns and tranquilizers, at a time when medical research has raised us to a new plateau of good health and longevity. Far too many of us worry ourselves into an early grave, trying to cope with things in our own little personal ways, without learning a few great laws that will take care of everything for us. These things we bring on ourselves through our habitual way of thinking. Every one of us is the sum total of his own thoughts. He is where he is because that's exactly where he really wants to be, whether he'll admit that or not. Each of us must live off the fruit of his thoughts in the future, because what you think today and tomorrow, next month and next year, will mold your life and determine your future. You're guided by your mind. I remember one time I was driving through eastern Arizona, and I saw one of those giant earth-moving machines roaring along the road at about 35 miles an hour with what looked like 30 tons of dirt in it, a tremendous, incredible machine, and there was a little man perched way up on top with the wheel in his hands guiding it. And as I drove along, I was struck by the similarity of that machine to the human mind. Just suppose you're sitting at the controls of such a vast source of energy. Are you going to sit back and fold your arms and let it run itself into a ditch? Or are you going to keep both hands firmly on the wheel and control and direct this power to a specific, worthwhile purpose? It's up to you. You're in the driver's seat. You see, the very law that gives us success is a two-edged sword. We must control our thinking. The same rule that can lead a man to a life of success, wealth, happiness, and all the things he ever dreamed of for himself and his family. That very same law can lead him into the gutter. It's all in how he uses it, for good or for bad. This is the strangest secret in the world. Now, why do I say it's strange, and why do I call it a secret? Actually, it isn't a secret at all. It was first promulgated by some of the earliest wise men, and it appears again and again throughout the Bible, but very few people have learned it, understand it. That's why it's strange, and why for some equally strange reason it virtually remains a secret. I believe that you could go out and walk down the main street of your town and ask one man after another what the secret of success is, and you probably wouldn't run into one man in a month who could tell you. Now, this information is enormously valuable to us if we really understand it and apply it. It's valuable to us not only for our own lives, but the lives of those around us, our families, employees, associates, and friends. Life should be an exciting adventure. It should never be a bore. A man should live fully, be alive. He should be glad to get out of bed in the morning. He should be doing a job he likes to do because he does it well. One time I heard Grove Patterson, the great late editor-in-chief of the Toledo Daily Blade, make a speech, and as he concluded his speech, he said something I've never forgotten. He said, my years in the newspaper business have convinced me of several things, among them that people are basically good and that we came from someplace and we're going someplace. So we should make our time here an exciting adventure. The architect of the universe didn't build a stairway leading nowhere. And the greatest teacher of all, the carpenter from the plains of Galilee, gave us the secret time and time again, as ye believe. So shall it be done unto you. I've explained the strangest secret in the world and how it works. Now, on this side, I want to explain how you can prove to yourself the enormous returns possible in your own life 
By putting this secret to a practical test, I want you to make a test that will last 30 days. It isn't going to be easy, but if you'll give it a good try, it will completely change your life for the better. Back in the 17th century, Sir Isaac Newton, the English mathematician and natural philosopher, gave us the natural laws of physics, which apply as much to human beings as they do to the movement of bodies in the universe. And one of these laws is that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Simply stated, as it applies to you and me, it means we can achieve nothing without paying the price. The results of your 30-day experiment will be in direct proportion to the effort you put forth. To be a doctor, you must pay the price of long years of difficult study. To be successful in selling, and remember that each of us succeeds to the extent of his ability to sell. Selling our families on our ideas. Selling education in schools. Selling our children on the advantages of living the good and honest life. Selling our associates and employees on the importance of being exceptional people. To, of course, the profession of selling itself. But to be successful in selling our way to the good life, we must be willing to pay the price. Now, what is that price? Well, it's many things. First, it's understanding emotionally as well as intellectually that we literally become what we think about, that we must control our thoughts if we're to control our lives. It's understanding fully that as ye sow, so shall ye reap. Second, it's cutting away all fetters from the mind and permitting it to soar as it was divinely designed to do. It's the realization that your limitations are self-imposed and that the opportunities for you today are enormous beyond belief. It's rising above narrow-minded pettiness and prejudice. And third, it's using all your courage to force yourself to think positively on your own problem, to set a definite and clearly defined goal for yourself, to let your marvelous mind think about your goal from all possible angles, to let your imagination speculate freely upon many different possible solutions, to refuse to believe that there are any circumstances sufficiently strong to defeat you in the accomplishment of your purpose, to act promptly and decisively when your course is clear, and to keep constantly aware of the fact that you are at this moment standing in the middle of your own acres of diamonds, as Russell Conwell used to point out. And fourth, save at least 10% of every dollar you earn. It's also remembering that no matter what your present job, it has enormous possibilities if you're willing to pay the price. Now let's just go over the important points in the price each of us must pay to achieve the wonderful life that can be ours. It is, of course, worth any price. One, you will become what you think about. Two, remember the word imagination and let your mind begin to soar. Three, courage. Concentrate on your goal every day. Four, save 10% of what you earn. And five, action. Ideas are worthless unless we act on them. Now, I'll try to outline the 30-day test I want you to make. Keep in mind that you have nothing to lose by making this test and everything you could possibly want to gain. There are two things that may be said of everyone. Each of us wants something, and each of us is afraid of something. I want you to write on a card what it is you want more than anything else. It may be more money. Perhaps you'd like to double your income or make a specific amount of money. It may be a beautiful home. It may be success at your job. It may be a particular position in life. It could be a more harmonious family. Each of us wants something. Now write down on your card specifically what it is you want. Make sure it's a single goal and clearly defined. You needn't show it to anyone, but carry it with you so that you can look at it several times a day. Think about it in a cheerful, relaxed, positive way each morning when you get up. And immediately you have something to work for, something to get out of bed for, something to live for. Look at it every chance you get during the day and just before going to bed at night. And as you look at it, 
Remember that you must become what you think about, and since you're thinking about your goal, you realize that soon it will be yours. In fact, it's yours really the moment you write it down and begin to think about it. Look at the abundance all around you as you go about your daily business. You have as much right to this abundance as any other living creature. It's yours for the asking. Now we come to the difficult part. Difficult because it means the formation of what is probably a brand new habit, and new habits are not easily formed. Once formed, however, it will follow you for the rest of your life. Stop thinking about what it is you fear. Each time a fearful or negative thought comes into your consciousness, replace it with a mental picture of your positive and worthwhile goal. And there will come times when you feel like giving up. It's easier for a human being to think negatively than positively. That's why only 5% are successful. You must begin now to place yourself in that group. For 30 days, you must take control of your mind. It will think about only what you permit it to think about. Each day for this 30-day test, do more than you have to do. In addition to maintaining a cheerful, positive outlook, give of yourself more than you've ever done before. Do this knowing that your returns in life must be in direct proportion to what you give. The moment you decide on a goal to work toward, you're immediately a successful person. You are then in that rare and successful category of people who know where they're going. Out of every hundred people, you belong to the top five. Don't concern yourself too much with how you're going to achieve your goal. Leave that completely to a power greater than yourself. All you have to do is know where you're going. The answers will come to you of their own accord and at the right time. Remember these words from the Sermon on the Mount, and remember them well. Keep them constantly before you this month of your test. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. It's as marvelous and as simple as that. In fact, it's so simple that in our seemingly complicated world, it's difficult for an adult to understand that all he needs is a purpose and faith. For 30 days, do your very best. If you're a salesman, go at it as you've never done before, not in a hectic fashion, but with the calm, cheerful assurance that time well spent will give you the abundance in return you deserve and want. If you're a homemaker, devote your 30-day test to completely giving of yourself without thinking about receiving anything in return, and you'll be amazed at the difference it makes in your life. No matter what your job, do it as you've never done it before for 30 days. And if you've kept your goal before you every day, you'll wonder and marvel at this new life you've found. Dorothea Brand, the outstanding editor and writer, discovered it for herself and tells about it in her fine book, Wake Up and Live. Her entire philosophy is reduced to the words, Act as though it were impossible to fail. She made her own test with sincerity and faith, and her entire life was changed to one of overwhelming success. Now, you make your test for 30 full days. Don't start your test until you've made up your mind to stick with it. You see, by being persistent, you're demonstrating faith. Persistence is simply another word for faith. If you didn't have faith, you'd never persist. If you should fail during your first 30 days, by that I mean suddenly find yourself overwhelmed by negative thoughts, you've got to start over again from that point and go 30 more days. Gradually, your new habit will form until you find yourself one of that wonderful minority to whom virtually nothing is impossible. And don't forget the card. It's vitally important as you begin this new way of living. On one side of the card, write your goal, whatever it may be. On the other side, write the words we've quoted from the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, 
and it shall be opened unto you. Nothing great was ever accomplished without inspiration. See that during these crucial first thirty days, your own inspiration is kept to the peak, and above all, don't worry. Worry brings fear, and fear is crippling. The only thing that can cause you to worry during your test is trying to do it all yourself. Know that all you have to do is hold your goal before you. Everything else will take care of itself. Remember also to keep calm and cheerful. Don't let petty things annoy you and get you off course. Now, since making this test is difficult, some will say, why should I bother? Well, look at the alternative. No one wants to be a failure. No one really wants to be a mediocre individual. No one wants a life constantly filled with worry and fear and frustration. Therefore, remember that you must reap that which you sow. If you sow negative thoughts, your life will be filled with negative things. If you sow positive thoughts, your life will be cheerful, successful, and positive. Now, gradually, you will have a tendency to forget what you've heard on this recording. Play it often. Keep reminding yourself of what you must do to form this new habit. Gather your whole family around at regular intervals and listen to what's been said here. You know, most men will tell you that they want to make money without understanding the law. The only people who make money work in a mint. The rest of us must earn money. This is what causes those who keep looking for something for nothing or a free ride to fail in life. The only way to earn money is by providing people with services or products which are needed and useful. We exchange our time and our product or service for the other man's money. Therefore, the law is that our financial return will be in direct proportion to our service. Now, success is not the result of making money. Making money is the result of success, and success is in direct proportion to our service. Most people have this law backwards. They believe that you're successful if you earn a lot of money. The truth is that you can only earn money after you're successful. It's like the story of the man who sat in front of the stove and said to it, Give me heat, and then I'll add the wood. How many men and women do you know, or do you suppose there are today, who take the same attitude toward life? There are millions. We've got to put the fuel in before we can expect heat. Likewise, we've got to be of service first before we can expect money. Don't concern yourself with the money. Be of service, build, work, dream, create. Do this and you'll find there's no limit to the prosperity and abundance that will come to you. Prosperity, you know, is founded upon a law of mutual exchange. Any person who contributes to prosperity must prosper in turn himself. Sometimes the return will not come from those you serve, but it must come to you from someplace, because that's the law. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. As you go daily through your 30-day test period, remember that your success will always be measured by the quality and quantity of service you render, and money is a yardstick for measuring this service. No man can get rich himself unless he enriches others. Now, there are no exceptions to a law. You can drive down any street in America and from your car estimate the service that's being rendered by the people living on that street. Had you ever thought of this yardstick before? It's interesting. Some, like ministers and priests and other devoted people, measure their returns in the realm of the spiritual, but again, their returns are equal to their service. Once this law is fully understood, any thinking person can tell his own fortune. If he wants more, he must be of more service to those from whom he receives his return. If he wants less, he has only to reduce his service. This is the price you must pay for what you want. If you believe you can enrich yourself by deluding others, you can end only by deluding yourself. It may take some time, but just as surely as you breathe, you'll get back what you put out. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking you can avert this. It's impossible. The prisons and the streets where the lonely walk are filled with people who tried to make new laws just for themselves. 
We may avoid the laws of man for a while, but there are greater laws that cannot be broken. An outstanding medical doctor recently pointed out six steps that will help you realize success. One, set yourself a definite goal. Two, quit running yourself down. Three, stop thinking of all the reasons why you cannot be successful and instead think of all the reasons why you can. Four, take your attitude back through your childhood and try to discover where you first got the idea you couldn't be successful, if that's the way you've been thinking. Five, change the image you have of yourself by writing out a description of the person you would like to be. And six, act the part of the successful person you have decided to become. The doctor who wrote those words is a noted West Coast psychiatrist, Dr. David Harold Fink. Do what the experts since the dawn of recorded history have told you you must do. Pay the price by becoming the person you want to become. It's not nearly as difficult as living unsuccessfully. Make your 30-day test, then repeat it, then repeat it again, and each time it will become more a part of you until you wonder how you could ever have lived any other way. Live this new way and the floodgates of abundance will open and pour over you more riches than you may have dreamed existed. Money? Yes, lots of it. But what's more important, you'll have peace. You'll be in that wonderful minority who lead calm, cheerful, successful lives. Start today. You have nothing to lose, but you have a whole life to win. This is Earl Nightingale, and thank you. There we go. But uh, what do you think about that, Adam? Any, any uh, I think it's uh, probably the crux of most people's lives, certainly mine, and reminds me a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, Law of Attraction, The Secret, um, uh, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. You know, uh, many a biblical term and anecdote. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you he probably read uh, Napoleon Hill, you know? Would not be surprised. Many oh. people have read Napoleon Hill. Whether you want to call him BS or not, Shakespeare is still Shakespeare, even if we don't really know who he was. Right. And I bet like you... all the plays, if you can't tell, why does it matter? Yeah. And I bet you he also read... Uh, Neville Goddard, like the, one of Neville's books is called "Feeling is the Secret." And he's talking about strangest secret, but the the the, uh, the concepts are the same. This is one of the things. One of the reasons why I wanted to share this is because it uh, you could draw a thread and connect it to Neville. Um, one of the things that Neville always says many times throughout all of his writings, and uh, just for example, I pulled one up here um, from. Your Faith is Your Fortune, a book that he wrote, Neville wrote, just really quickly. He says, every man automatically expresses that which he is conscious of being. Without effort or the use of words, at every moment of time, man is commanding himself to be and to possess that which he is conscious of being and possessing. So a little bit more wordy and philosophical sounding, I guess, but uh, essentially the same thing that uh, Mr. Nightingale's talking about. So I love it when, you know, breadcrumbs come together to make a, a bigger crumb, I guess. And a plus, I, dude's got a really good radio voice. That's, uh, it makes me, makes me a little jealous. <laughs> I don't have golden pipes like that, but, uh, alas. Um, 
just a few few things that uh, popped out to me was that uh, his his definition of success being a progressive realization of a worthy ideal. I think that is a very uh, good definition to have. And I know we're running up on time here, but uh, two other, one other thing. Uh, he mentioned uh, goal setting, right? Uh, setting goals. Um, this can be one of the most uh, challenging aspects of going down uh, adventures such as this is figuring out exactly what you want, right? It might seem like an easy question, but uh, when you sometimes when you get to thinking about it and you know, maybe it's not as easy to uh, put your finger on, right? So there are some, uh, a, a, uh, an outline called SMART, S, S, an acronym, S-M-A-R-T, for creating goals, goal setting. And it's specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. So S-M-A-R-T. Those are just some, uh, some maybe some guideposts. To help you in in setting and choosing a goal, right? To maybe uh, help you along that way. And then I really like uh, I know it's a quote from somebody else, but he brought in the act as though it were impossible to fail uh, attitude. And this to me reminds me of Adam Zeeland's um, reality transurfing. So like going to the mailbox just to get the mail, like it's just any other day, it's gonna happen, and there's, you don't have to think twice about it. Don't worry, yeah. Don't worry you don't it. need to know the route. You just need to know the destination. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, I need to get to California and I'm going to walk. All right. Go west. You'll get there. Yep. Think in positive terms, you get positive results. Think in negative terms, you get. You won't ever get there, right? You're not going to California. <laughs> All right. So I hope you. I hope. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from uh, Earl Nightingale. Um, last thing to mention is the scalar energy session for this week um, on Friday will be overall well-being, and this is a free service that Derek offers to anybody uh, that visits the website. Essentially, go to mysticalwares.com. Uh, you'll see a drop-down or a menu option for scalar energy. Click that button. That whole page is dedicated to explaining what exactly scalar energy is, and then there's an option to sign up at the bottom. And like I said, it, it is completely free, and the uh, frequencies that uh, Derek uses are based off of Royal Raymond Ripe's work with uh, well, scalar energy and frequencies. So um, this week, like I said, will be overall well-being, so definitely go and uh, sign up for that got nothing to lose and please 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 share the show uh, rate the show help spread the love however you can and until next time photonauts carpe diem